Tonight, as more and more information leaks out about the COVID-19 vaccines, the more I think about the horror that was thalidomide. It's Wednesday, July 5th, 2023. I'm David Menzies, and this is The Ezra Levent Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. Last year, my family doctor, who shall remain nameless because all things considered, she's a very good doctor and I don't want to get fired as a patient. Well, she decided to start seeing clients again, meaning she resumed in-person visits as opposed to exclusively virtual sessions via Zoom or Skype. Well, let me tell you folks, when she discovered that I was unvaccinated, did I ever get an earful for not getting those COVID-19 experimental jabs, as well as the obligatory booster shots? Casting an evil eye upon me, she tersely said one word, why? And my reply was this, well, Doc, I'm a 1962 baby, so when I hear the words experimental and medication, Combined in one statement, all I can think about is thalidomide. She immediately cut me off, saying words to the effect that I was comparing apples to oranges, that thalidomide had nothing in common with the life-saving vaccines being peddled by the likes of Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. Really? Thalidomide dates back to the late 1950s. It was supposed to be a medical miracle. Instead, it was a medical disaster. The drug was meant to alleviate morning sickness in pregnant women. In that regard, thalidomide worked brilliantly. Oh, but there was a price to be paid. Namely, more than 10,000 babies the world over were born with severe birth defects thanks to thalidomide side effects. Perhaps the best written account regarding thalidomide is Suffer the Children, the story of thalidomide, written by the Insight team of the Times of London. Published in 1979, it is a tome that is designed to both sadden and enrage. Allow me to reference a snippet from the book's introduction. Quote, the thalidomide babies whose births shocked the world have grown up. They were born almost 20 years ago with a terrible range of deformities because the thalidomide sedative pill their mothers took during pregnancy was not a wonder drug but a cruel perverter of the growing body in the womb. The thalidomide teenagers are coping with life as best anyone can when they lack arms or legs or suffer from other serious deficiencies. In Britain, 19-year-old David Bickers, who has no legs and only rudimentary digits where arms should be, studies mathematics and electronics and produces his own talking magazine for the blind. Terry Wiles, who is barely two feet tall and has no arms or legs and only one eye, writes and types his own short stories. Gary Skinner, who has short flippers where his arms should be, 
works as a telephone switchboard operator in his local hospital. Something like 8,000 thalidomide children are alive in the United States, Germany, Japan, Britain, Ireland, Sweden, Australia, Canada, Brazil, Italy, and Spain. Altogether, the pill known internationally as thalidomide claimed victims in 46 countries where it was prescribed by doctors and sold across the counter under a variety of trade names on license from the original German inventors, Chami Gerthenthal. Mothers who took the pill in the first trimester of pregnancy, when limb buds of the fetus form, produced children with a wide but distinctive range of deformities. Some have no arms, just flippers from the shoulder. Some no legs, just toes from their hips. Some have limbless trunks with just a head and a body. Some appear to be physically normal, but were injured internally. Most of the children have a normal range of intelligence, but a few are vegetables. Some are deaf or blind or suffer from epilepsy and other manifestations of severe brain damage. They are all victims not merely of a drug accident, but of the dangerous myth invented in Germany and exported to a credulous world that thalidomide was better than all other tranquilizers because it was non-toxic, had no side effects, and was completely safe for pregnant women. None of these statements announced by the drug companies and accepted by doctors was true, end quote. Making things immeasurably worse, not only did this drug not come as advertised, a second tragedy occurred when news of the deformed thalidomide babies started making headlines the world over. And that second tragedy was how governments and social institutions not only failed to keep the drug off the market, but did not act quickly, even when its effects were realized. By the way, folks, that list of dawdlers would include our home and native land. In Canada, thalidomide somehow remained on the market for three months after it had been withdrawn in Britain and Germany. What a blue hell was Health Canada thinking? How many more babies were born here with terrible deformities during those months when it could have all have been prevented? Just remember this anecdote when it comes to our healthcare head honchos, you know, like Dr. Teresa Tam, when they chirp, follow the science. As the saying goes, sometimes the true sin of a scandal is not necessarily the crime committed, but rather the cover-up. Alas, with thalidomide, and I suspect with the COVID-19 vaccines, the sin was both the crime and the cover-up. More on that later. But given the 2020 vision that inherently comes from hindsight, does anyone with two functioning brain cells truly believe the official COVID-19 vaccine narrative to be true? that it is effective in preventing COVID and that it is 100% safe. Indeed, the most unintentionally funny tweet I laid eyes on regarding COVID 
came via a blackface liberal from last year. It was authored by MP Carolyn Bennett, who I must point out is a medical doctor. And here's what Doc Bennett tweeted on June 29th, 2022, quote, I have just tested positive for COVID-19. I am feeling fine. I am grateful that my vaccinations are up to date, including my fourth shot. I will now isolate. Teachable moment. Protect yourself, others, and our healthcare system. End quote. Whoa. Hold the phone. I'm not a medical doctor, nor do I play one on TV, but isn't Dr. Bennett's tweet at best counterintuitive? She got double jabbed. She got two boosters. Then she contracted COVID-19, to which she says she's grateful. By the way, folks, I wonder where Doc Bennett might have got infected. A tip of the hat to my colleague Yankee, who dredged up this tweet the doctor issued just three days prior to her COVID positive tweet. Check it out. Quote, the energy today was absolutely fabulous at Pride Toronto and long overdue after two long years. It was so great to see everyone together again and celebrating their love, inclusivity, diversity, bravery, and resilience that the LGBTQ plus community teaches all of us, end quote. Hmm, check out those photos, folks. Maybe there really was something to be said for all that masking and social distancing after all. And forgive me, I don't know what all of us square straight folk can learn from the rainbow unicorn set during Pride events. Uh, learn what exactly? How to illegally wave our schlongs in public in front of children? As for love, bravery, and inclusion, golly, where was Dr. Frankenstein, or I mean Dr. Bennett, back in 2002 when this doctor, who should have known better, voted against compensating those Canadians who contracted hepatitis C due to Canada's infected blood supply. Wow, what love, what compassion, what empathy. Dr. Bennett, not only are you an idiot, but you're an evil idiot. Thankfully, there are doctors out there who, unlike certain MPs, are both qualified and ethical. And some of these doctors refuse to be silenced. That would include Dr. Paul Elias Alexander. He advocates for the following, a complete changeover of pandemic responders, firing those who have failed us, stop shifting the blame to the public who have done their part, and electing qualified experts. My beloved colleague, Tamara Ugolini, is what I would call a COVID-19 nerd, that's a term of endearment, by the way, because Tamara is a one-woman gang when it comes to analyzing the official narrative of COVID-19 and calling out the misinformation and even the downright lies. These past few years, Tamara has been doing the job that, well, you'd expect the mainstream media to do, you know, slog through endless documents. But the train seals in the media party, well, they've decided to sit this one out. Check out this excerpt from Tamara's interview with Dr. Alexander. The bottom line here is that 
if you ask us to give you two weeks in February, March to flatten the curve, you said governments, you even the Canadian federal government, we need two weeks so we could prepare our hospitals. It's been 19 months. If you are still asking the society for more time and for more lockdowns and for more restrictions and masking and all these things, you have failed. You, the government, have failed. You, the federal response people and the provincial people and your task forces. You, the health system, has failed. The society has done its job for 19 months. Anything you asked, we did. You should all be fired. That's my view. Yeah, head should roll, all right. But that's just not going to happen. Then, in an interview conducted in October 2021, Tamara got Dr. Alexander to weigh in on the rumblings of the Pfizer injection being approved for use in children aged 5 to 11 and how it was both reckless and unnecessary. What I found was that in a seminal research by Patel et al., they showed that the ACE2 receptor is uh, minimally expressed. Expressed means available or produced or, or, or numerically, it, it, it is numerally, it is numerically, there's a low number of the ACE2 receptor on in the nasopharyngeal passage, particularly in the nostrils of children and young children. And there's, there was this clear ACE gradient in their, in their study that showed that the older person gets the more ACE2 in the portion of the, the human being in the nost nostril, nasopharyngeal passage. So why is that important? Because normally when you get infected, when, when, well, when the virus first comes at you, uh, this virus or other respiratory viruses, they land in the nostrils, in the, in the oral cavity, et cetera, and the process, the infection process begins there. So, so the issue is that, um, well, if children didn't have such, uh, if children had such a low level of ACE2 receptors, that began to explain why children didn't readily, were not readily getting infected and uh, be beginning to seek related more severe disease. And um, it, it is a very credible part of the discussion because the reality about it is when you add that piece to the piece by uh, some other researchers, Lois et al, who also showed that the upper respiratory tract of children were pre-activated or primed with um, innate immunity, with, with, with an immune uh, posture that, was, that, was, that left it very nimble and proactive in terms of its response to subsequent to exposure to SARS-CoV-2. And you added that to the research by Yang et al, who found in the blood of children that they had collected uh, before the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic emerged, they found um, uh, B-cell immunity that helped explain from prior coronavirus exposures. So there you have it. There was a body of scientific evidence indicating children should not get vaccinated, uh, but that didn't stop the powers that be from sacrificing the health of our children upon the altar of profits, did it now? Indeed, around the same time Dr. Alexander was pointing this out, various governments and health agencies were purposefully airing ad campaigns directly targeting children, implying it was cool to get the jabs. Perhaps the worst offender was Ontario's Peel region, 
which utilized Brampton Batman, if you can believe it. Just how desperate are Canada's doctators when it comes to getting the COVID-19 vaccine into the arms of our children? Well, how about this? They are actually using fictional characters plucked from popular culture to promote the gross theme that it is cool to get jabbed. Case in point, recently Ontario's Peel region, population 1.51 million, actually employed the Cape Crusader in a one minute long video in an effort to get kids to get the jabs. Holy pin cushions. Indeed, Peel Public Health tweeted out a whiz bang one minute long video featuring Dr. Lawrence Losom, or I mean Dr. Lawrence Lowe, actually recruiting children five to 11 to get vaccinated with the assistance of Brampton Batman and his Brampton Batmobile. You won't find that video online anymore. It's been yanked like it never happened and more on that later. But I had my very own boy wonder record this video with his cell phone camera before it was eradicated from cyberspace. Here, check it out. Coming soon to a Peel vaccine clinic near you. This battle began in January, the year 2020. With over 117,000 cases of COVID-19 in Peel, it's been a tough fight. We've missed special occasions, families, friends. We've even experienced online schooling. You have been the real heroes throughout this. With over 2.5 million doses of vaccine given right here in Peel, COVID is starting to give up ground and we're finally starting to win. We need you. There are many battles left to fight and losing is not an option. We're calling on our heroes. If you're five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, or 11 years old, it's almost your turn to get the vaccine, get protected, and protect those around you. Can you believe that the wannabe actor Lawrence Lowe is actually the top doctor in Peel region? Holy Frankenstein. Yeah, and if Brampton Batman was a real crime fighter, maybe he would be rounding up those criminals responsible for jabbing our kids. Not to be outdone, around this time, Toronto's disgraceful ex-mayor, John Tory, made use of a character who was last relevant back when Kim Campbell was Prime Minister. Pokeroo, what did you think? Pokeroo! 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 I gather, for those who could translate, uh, this is a, a ringing endorsement. Uh, this is a character of few words, and so uh, this is all good. And uh, I can tell that Poker is a huge fan of the setup. Wow, the perverse irony here is richer than a double slice of Premier Doug Ford's beloved cherry cheesecake. Because while Mayor Tory was advocating that we needed to get our kids jabbed and that we should wear face diapers and that we should social distance and stay in social distancing circles that were painted upon city parkland and then going on to shut down mom pa restaurants with all the king's horses and all the king's men, all in the name of public safety, mind you. Well, it turns out that his dishonor was horizontally jogging with Emily Hillstrom a city hall subordinate. Yeah, pokeroo indeed. But here is a doctor I do trust, namely Dr. Julie Panessi. And here's what she said at a London Freedom Rally vis-a-vis -vis 
vaccinating children. Why are we about to vaccinate five-year-olds when the vaccines offer them a 1%, at most, 1% absolute risk reduction and when there is no effective monitoring system for the vaccine? Do you know, folks, that if Dr. Panessi goes back to the University of Western Ontario, a.k.a. her former place of employment, where she was terminated for not getting the jab, that she will actually be arrested for trespassing. But it's not just the kids. As we take inventory of those who got the experimental COVID-19 jabs, evidence is emerging that far from being a panacea against contracting the coronavirus, some people were very adversely affected. For example, I point to a story penned by my colleague Sheila Gunn-Reed a few days ago regarding Carrie Sakamoto. Sakamoto is a Lethbridge, Alberta mother of three, and she is suffering from permanent Bell's palsy, despite being told by the government slash state broadcaster, CBC, that she was doing the right thing by following constant recommendations to receive a COVID-19 vaccination. So it is that Sakamoto has filed a lawsuit represented by lawyers Eva Chipiuk and James Kitchen, working with the Institute for Justice and Freedom and Empowered Canadians. The lawsuit names the Federal Minister of Health, the Chief Public Health Officer of Canada, Health Canada, the Public Health Agency of Canada, Dr. Cecilia Larinko, and Alberta Health Services and the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. The suit alleges all of the aforementioned were negligent, provided information they knew to be false and incomplete, and that they censored and suppressed truthful and reliable information about vaccine injuries, which caused harm to Miss Sakamoto. She is seeking $10.5 million. That's an interesting number, isn't it? I think Sakamoto is entitled to every penny and more, but she will undoubtedly spend years in court as she continues to suffer. And yet back in 2016, was it not the blackface liberals that could hardly wait to stick a $10.5 million check into the pocket of Omar Khadr, Canada's homegrown Al-Qaeda terrorist who murdered one U.S. serviceman and partially blinded another. Lesson learned, a woman maimed by the experimental COVID-19 vaccine that she was duped into taking has to spend eternity and a day fighting for justice. Meanwhile, an Islamist terrorist gets a Lotto 649 payment because of hurt feelings, because blackface reckons that there are those living in our great dominion who sympathize and support little Omar, and that translates into votes for Team Red. Unbelievable. But back to my colleague, Tamara Ugolini. Two weeks ago, she filed a blockbuster of a report. For starters, in the department of the ghost of thalidomide, Tamara points to data from a study indicating that out of 29 outcomes in pregnant women, who received the COVID-19 vaccine, 28 resulted in the loss or death of the baby. Equally disturbing is that it appears that Health Canada has been caught in a bold-faced lie in terms of their analysis of Pfizer data, 
Check out an excerpt, an excerpt of her report. Mary Ugolini here with Rebel News. And in today's report, I'm going to show you a recent question brought forward in the House of Commons by Conservative Member of Parliament Colin Carey, who inquired with health regulatory agencies to test their knowledge of the Pfizer data releases known as the Pfizer documents. The documents that he refers to came about by way of a freedom of of information request filed by a group of doctors in the United States who call themselves public health and medical professionals for transparency. And they filed their request with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, to obtain the COVID manufacturer's vaccine safety data, namely Pfizer's, that was used to authorize the novel injections. The FDA originally said that they would release 500 pages per month in their response after they attempted to delay the release of the data for 75 years. But then a judge ordered them to release at least 55,000 pages every month. Now, for some historical context here, similarly to what happened with the FDA, Health Canada began receiving submissions of potential COVID-19 vaccines for approval or authorization in October of 2020, which they authorized for administration to the public on December 9th, 2020. That's roughly 90 days to apparently do a thorough review of hundreds of thousands of pages of data. Either the process was rushed or there wasn't actually a lot of data to review. Now, MP Carey inquired about these reviews and specifically asks about document 5.3.6 titled Cumulative Analysis of Post-Authorization Adverse Event Reports. It's a Pfizer COVID vaccine reaction report that showed troubling adverse events outcomes, especially for unborn babies whose mothers had taken the shot in pregnancy, which included neonatal death and spontaneous abortion. Dr. Shoemaker had previously joined Rebel News to denounce the exact same findings and data that shows that out of 29 outcomes in pregnant women, 28 resulted in the loss or death of the baby. In response to Carrie, Health Canada said that they are aware of the ongoing release of these documents, but their internal reviews of manufacturer reports did not identify new safety concerns. Health Canada claimed that they began these reviews on January 15, 2021, and completed them on April 4, 2021. Can you believe your ears? Somehow, Health Canada completed a review of documents seven months prior to the release of those aforementioned documents? Do Health Canada bureaucrats own a DeLorean DMC-12 with that uber-rare flux capacitor option, you know, so that they can bend the time-space continuum? Or maybe that so-called review document is, well, take it away, Romulan Senator Vrinak. It's a fake. And so it is that I am experiencing a mixture of dread and deja vu. So much of this is resembling the thalidomide scandal more than six decades ago. Because with every passing week, more new evidence emerges that the COVID-19 vaccine is tantamount to the scam of our young century, that this vaccine is, as, the say, as they say in Alabama, a dog that don't hunt. 
And I don't care if you are pro-vaccine, it is a matter of fact that a new vaccine takes about a decade to develop. If you can deliver a vaccine in five years, that's considered lightning fast. Yet the COVID-19 vaccines, they were rendered in a matter of months, not years. And just like thalidomide, a growing body of evidence suggests that we were being lied to, that the off-uttered command of follow the science was as bogus as a $3 bill because, well, there was no science to follow. Indeed, hardly a day goes by in which I don't bump into someone who is not suffering from buyer's remorse for taking that COVID-19 jab, including, I should add, people employed in the medical profession. Just like thalidomide, it is evident that these vaccines were not properly tested nor analyzed. No, the holy grail of the almighty dollar is what greased the wheels of both medications. Profits trumped science. Alas, there is one profound difference comparing the rollout of thalidomide and the COVID-19 vaccines, and that is no government of yesterday ever coerced mothers into taking thalidomide. Instead, those mothers put their faith in big pharma only to be utterly betrayed. COVID-19, however, had governments and health agencies and corporations forcing people to get jabbed. Of course, I don't mean people were rounded up and jabbed against their will. What I reference were those malicious mandates requiring one to get jabbed or else you'd lose your job. Yeah, physically, you'd be all right, but you would receive an economic death sentence. More and more damning testimony continues to trickle out regarding how this vaccine was about as effective as a placebo for some, Meanwhile, for others, especially young, athletic, physically fit males, well, it did turn out to be a death sentence, a real death sentence after all, didn't it? How many young, physically fit people, for example, suddenly went from the picture of health to dropping dead in their tracks via myocarditis? Of course, we're not supposed to talk about that. We're not supposed to ask impolite questions of Big Pharma who are aided and abetted by the censorious thugs who run Silicon Valley, AKA the information gatekeepers, who are doing everything in their power to cover up any negativity regarding COVID-19 vaccines. For example, folks, merely Google the phrase, why are COVID-19 vaccines bad? And you know what you're gonna get? you're gonna get the precise opposite information, namely why COVID-19 vaccines are good, with sources ranging from John Hopkins Medicine to, of course, the Canadian government. When it comes to COVID-19 negativity online, the song Home on the Range springs to mind, you know, where seldom is heard a discouraging word. In the years and decades to come, I think the quest for COVID-19 justice will morph into a lawyer's paradise. And just like the drug makers who manufactured thalidomide, the vaccine manufacturers will fight every lawsuit to the bitter end. What compensation that will result will no doubt be chump change. Case in point, 
in Britain, after years of litigation, distillers, which was the UK manufacturer of thalidomide, came to an agreement in 1971 in which the company would pay the 370 victims of thalidomide $7.8 million doled out over 10 years. That's $7.8 million in total for all 370. Needless to say, this settlement was far short of the life needs of the thalidomide victims. Despicable beyond words. And I'm sure the same nickel and diming is going to happen to COVID-19 vaccine victims and their families as those lawsuits wind their way through the legal system. The likes of Pfizer are very responsible when it comes to the well-being of their shareholders, you see. Oh, by the way, folks, I almost forgot to mention a very relevant point regarding me and thalidomide. You see, when my mother became pregnant with yours truly, that took place in August 1961. I would later be informed that she suffered from horrendous morning sickness. It was a very, very tough pregnancy indeed. So what did she do? Well, like thousands of other pregnant women the world over at the time, my mother got a prescription for thalidomide. And there upon her night table did the so-called miracle medication sit, much like a hand grenade waiting for its pin to be pulled. But the cap on that little plastic bottle of thalidomide was never opened. Not a single tablet was ever consumed. But why? Was it woman's intuition? Was it some hunch deep down in her gut that while drug companies and doctors and pharmacists we're all saying that these tablets were perfectly safe and that the morning sickness would disappear, tickety-boo, no muss, no fuss. Why did my mother, who was suffering, never imbibe? It's baffling, and it remains a mystery to this day. As well, I can't help but think, what if? What if she had taken those tablets as prescribed? What if I had been born terribly deformed, despite being dealt an awful hand? So many of the thalidomide babies went on to make the best of their lives, getting jobs, contributing to, to society. Their stories are absolutely amazing, and yet I don't know if I would have had it in me to cope in such a fashion had I been born without legs or my arms resembled flippers or I was deaf and or blind. Given the inherent logistics, I highly doubt I would have gone on to become a journalist. I don't think I would be here today, employed by this wonderful company, presenting this monologue to you in the here and now. Shortly after my birth, I would go on to be raised by my grandparents. My birth parents were never a big part of my life. But I can tell you this for certain, when my mother decided not to consume the poison that was thalidomide, that was the greatest gift she could ever have given me. And a lesson was forever embedded in me thanks to what is now known about the horror that is thalidomide, which is to say I am not open to any medication 
whatsoever that is deemed as experimental being injected into my body, profit-obsessed big pharma, aided and abetted by control freak politicians and bureaucrats, as well as health agencies the world over, they can all try coercing me and people like me to get injected with an experimental vaccine that at best is totally useless and at worst is a potential death sentence. But so sorry, guys, it's no sale. Oh, sure, there were brand new billionaires minted overnight thanks to COVID. I'm sure it must be quite jolly to be a shareholder of Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson & Johnson. And I'm sure the CEOs of those companies are still giddy that the Silicon Valley tech giants morphed into allies, heavily promoting vaccination while censoring contrarian opinions. They no doubt love it that the practice of investigative journalism, at least when it comes to the mainstream media, went on vacation these past three years. Why? <laughs> hey, folks. Follow the money. America is brought to you by Pfizer. CBS Health Watch, sponsored by Pfizer. Anderson Cooper 360. Brought to you by Pfizer. ABC News Nightline. Brought to you by Pfizer. Making a difference. Brought to you by Pfizer. CNN Tonight. Brought to you by Pfizer. Early start. Brought to you by Pfizer. Friday night on Aaron Burnett out front. Brought to you by Pfizer. This week with George Stephanopoulos is brought to you by Pfizer. This weather report brought to you by Pfizer. Today's countdown to the royal wedding is brought to you by Pfizer. And now a CBS Sports update brought to you by Pfizer. Meet the press. Data download. Brought to you by Pfizer. This portion of CBS This Morning sponsored by Pfizer. On how to find the hidden sugars in the American family diet. Sponsored by Pfizer. And that's just a small sampling, by the way. It goes on and on and on. Just about everybody, it would seem, is on the take. The point is, in 2023, there is likely two generations of people who have never even heard of thalidomide, including many who are adherents of the COVID-19 experimental vaccine. For those of you in this camp, I urge you to do some research. You never know when the next scamdemic is going to happen along. And as the saying goes, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. In conclusion, I defer to the chilling paragraph that ends the introduction for Suffer the Children, which tells you all you need to know about thalidomide and perhaps other egregious experimental medications that are yet to come along. Secrecy cast a long shadow in the thalidomide affair, first over the discovery of what went wrong, medically and legally, and then over publication of the truth. Much of the story in this book has lain for 15 years under the veils of legal censorship. It is a story about a cover-up as well as about a drug disaster. It is less a scientific horror tale, though that element is present, than a parable about the predicament of the individual who is asked to pay the price for progress.
happened to notice a bunch of naked people marching down the street buck naked, what would you do? Perhaps call the cops? Full frontal nudity is illegal after all, but when my guest alerted law enforcement to such a display of public indecency, he was told there was nothing to see here whatsoever. Because apparently when it comes to the LGBT etc. community, it's one law for thee and one law for me. Joining me now is Rob Primo. Hey, Rob, how you doing there? I hope your eyes have recovered from taking in that impromptu sausage fest. Uh, but tell me, I thought we are, we're all supposed to live under one law here in Canada, but apparently that isn't the case, correct? Uh, yeah, that seems to be correct. I was under the impression that we all lived under one law and followed the same laws. But it seems to be that um, there's this protective banner right now uh, through diversity, equity and inclusion <laughs> um, that protects a certain class of Canadians to behave a certain type of way. Well, you know what, Rob, uh, before we get into uh, the crux of the matter, let's throw to your phone call that you made to 911 and uh, basically the very uh, ho-hum nonchalant response you received uh, from law, law enforcement in regard to that display of public indecency. Here we go. Ask a police officer a question. Sure, one moment. Thank you. Thank you for calling. Hi there. I was just looking to ask an officer a question. Uh, and then I got forwarded to you. Um, is there, I just want to make sure I'm not working outside of any laws or anything like that. If you want to be out in the street, you you have to be fully clothed and you can't be naked or anything like that, right? Well, I mean, there are naked people running around on the street. Okay. But is that against the law? It would be some mental health issues. Oh. Okay, I agree with you on that one. I, I, I just, I'm having a hard time. Yesterday I seen um, a bunch of people naked in front of children and police officers, you know, seeing men with their penis out in front of kids, and I'm just wondering if that's acceptable. Was that part of the, was that part of the Pride, you mean? Was that on the weekend? Yeah, it was at the Pride Parade. Yeah, yeah, so that's, that's always the issue then each year. Yeah. Is that, what's the issue with that? Sorry. Well, I mean, that happens every year. Oh, so like it's kind of like it's okay for when it's at the Pride Parade, but not in other situations, obviously? Exactly. I would, I would say so. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time. Well, first of all, Rob, I uh, sure hope that that cop that was speaking to you doesn't get suspended or terminated for talking about mental health issues. But indeed, I mean, what kind of frame of mind do you have to be in to think it is absolutely A-OK to get rid of all your clothing, march down the street where there are children present? I don't get it, Rob. Yeah, I don't get it either. You know, I don't understand how anyone who's an adult would be comfortable, um, you know, taking their clothes off and being in front of a child in the nude. I know I certainly wouldn't be able to do uh, something of that uh, nature. And it really makes me question uh, what the motive is exactly, because, uh, you know, in my eyes, it's completely wrong. And Rob, here's something I've been asking this question for a couple of decades now, even to those in that LGBT plus community. What does nudity have to do with pride? You know, uh, if I'm proud of something in my life, 
maybe it's something my sons have achieved. Maybe it's a buying a brand new car that I've uh, lusted after. I don't take off all my clothes and go <laughs> running naked through the neighborhood. So again, what is the connection with members of that community uh, celebrating pride and that therefore means you go buck naked? I'm trying to find that correlation myself, and it doesn't seem like this is a one-off, as I live in Niagara, and we had an incident like this happened a few weeks ago as well, and I thought, you know, maybe this was just something that's being overinflated on the internet, and that's why I started to keep my eye on these uh, events that were taking place, but it's definitely not something that's just hyperinflated. It's something that's replicating itself across the country and in America as well. You know, Rob, a couple of months ago, we were tipped off by a police officer at the Toronto Police Service. It was about the now mandatory transgender training all the police officers have to take and they have to pass with 100 percent or they have to redo the test. And basically, the theme that emerges is that trans people are not worthy of equal rights, but rather of special rights. I'll give you a quick example. A trans man, meaning a woman who is identifying as a man, um, when you are incarcerated, and I have been as a political prisoner in my own country, I can tell you, uh, you lose your necktie, your belt, your shoelaces, anything that can be weaponized, anything that you could use to hang yourself. But some of these trans men, evidently, they have a dildo in their underwear. It's not considered to be a sex toy. It's considered to be a gender-affirming article. That's the term. And they are allowed to bring it into the cell, even though it clearly can be weaponized. So I think we're going down a dangerous route here, um, Rob, based on gender identification, sexual orientation, and what have you. It is two different laws, and I'm sorry, that's not the way the law of the land should work. No, not at all. It's definitely seeming like in Canada we have a complete two-tier system right now. And the police, I speak with police often in confidence, and they are very scared to lay charges on individuals who are acting in this type of way because they know that these people are going to use the banner of diversity, equity, and inclusion as, you know, this, this righteous thing that they have that empowers them and enables them to just get away with breaking the law and doing whatever it is they want to do. And these police officers, they just don't want to get canceled. You know, I think you're right, Rob. And I think that unholy trinity, as I call it, diversity, equity and inclusion, I think that's what's drawing all, driving rather all kinds of nonsensical decisions, be it law enforcement, be it what's happening at our uber woke school boards uh, across Canada. And yet I can't help but notice the perverse irony here. They say inclusion, but being allowed to go naked in a public street, that's not inclusion. That is an example of exclusion. Rather, people like you and I, if we were to go to, say, the Santa Claus parade or the St. Patrick's Day parade, and we got naked, we'd be gang tackled by police officers, and rightly so. So what's the deal with inclusion? Nobody has this right to go naked at a public event. What are your thoughts? Well, I think this whole inclusion word is just a big buzzword that they're using right now, and they're doing the exact opposite. What they're doing is they're segregating us. They're not including us. 
they're putting us off into different groups and they're making these groups come at each other because, you know, one group of people are not going to be happy with a certain type of group who's behaving in this manner, who's getting naked in the streets, who's getting naked in front of children, who's exposing themselves in front of children, who's, you know, doing these uh, sick, perverted acts in front of children. Uh, you know, the other part of that population isn't going to be happy with that. And uh, I do not see this as inclusion at all. I see it as segregation and, uh, you know, just having two different uh, ideologies uh, going against each other. No, I think you're right, Rob. I, I think the precise opposite is going to be achieved. In other words, there's going to be a backlash. There are going to be people who are decent minded. They are you know, they subscribe to common sense. They subscribe to one law should rule us all. And they see these kind of exceptions being made. And um, I don't know. I, I, I think you can see that backlash happening right now. I mean, look at uh, Target in the U.S. Uh, more than 10 billion of share value has been lost by that company for certain uh, trans-themed merchandise uh, they were foisting upon their shoppers. Bud Light and Hauser Busch. Uh, a share value drop of $16.5 billion US for using a fake woman spokes thingy as opposed to a real woman. And I think it's more about Target merchandise and a certain brand of beer. I think it's about, you know, a feeling that enough is enough. Stop shoving this agenda down our throats. Your thoughts, my friend. Yeah, that's exactly it, you know, and of course we hear all of these popular words we're all called where, you know, it's a transphobe or a homophobe and a bigot, and that's the furthest thing from the truth. People don't care about what people want to do or what their sexual uh, preference is. What people care about is when you're involving our children in this, when you're shoving this down our children's throat, and they're being forced to learn this ideology in the school system. No, I think you're right. One last question, Rob, before you go. I wonder... Is this idea of not enforcing the law, is this internally generated by the police force in Toronto and other cities, for that matter, where this occurs? Or do you think their political puppet masters, you know, send down a message to the chief and he further sends it down the system? Listen, we all know there's going to be some people flagrantly breaking the public decency law. Uh, they're going to go full frontal naked, even in front of children. But you know what? Um, please turn a blind eye. Just let it be. Uh, don't press any charges. What do you think, Rob? Is it the police, you know, independently deciding not to lay charges or are they being told not to do so? No, I believe for sure they're being told not to uh, do so. And they're being used politically. And we all know that the police are here to serve and protect the people. And it's time that they start doing that because they can't just keep on pandering to uh, all the political nonsense that they're getting from the higher ups. Rob, it was a great idea what you did in terms of making that call and, of course, recording it. Maybe I'm going to copy you next year and make a call of my own. Uh, in the meantime, I wonder if I should test uh, law enforcement tolerance to uh, full frontal nudity. I I'd like to go naked during the Santa Claus parade, but that takes place in November. We're talking serious shrinkage in that month. So I'm going to put that idea on the kibosh. Um, Rob, last word goes to you, my friend.
Well, I just want to thank you for having me on here and uh, getting this out. And uh, I hope everyone can stand up and start speaking up in our communities because uh, we really need to do this for our kids. Thank you. Much obliged, Rob. Talk about being in the right place at the right time. The big boss man, Ezra Levant, he was in the UK along with super producer Efren uh, to cover some other matters. And then those riots in France broke out. Naturally, Ezra and Efren hopped aboard a flight to get to uh, France. Because really, do you ever trust what the mainstream media is reporting? And certainly Ezra filed several reports and wow, he just knocked it out of the ballpark. Naturally, tons of response to Ezra's reports. First off, there is Tracy8282. This was great to hear from the people and not media propaganda. Well, that is the thing. Uh, there was a definitive narrative going around in terms of who the rioters were and who the victims were something that the mainstream media kind of glossed over, you know, because it doesn't quite fit their narrative now, does it? Mindy Kay writes, that neighborhood is ugly. That's what immigration does. It destroys the country in every way. Well, you know, here's the thing. I personally believe, based on Ezra's reporting, there is plenty of blame to go around. A lot of the migrants from Algeria, from Nigeria, they don't feel like full citizens. And maybe there's some truth to be had here that they aren't treated as equally as other born in France, Frenchmen and French women are. But by the same token, it was very telling when Ezra asked these individuals, do you consider yourself a citizen of France or a citizen of Algeria or Nigeria? And universally, it was Algeria and Nigeria. The thing is, if you're going to become a citizen of an adopted nation, you've got to be all in. Maybe that would go a ways to getting full equality in the nation of France. And Danae2559 writes, a real Canadian immigrant would always answer the question, I'm from the Netherlands, Germany, England, etc., but I consider myself a Canadian. A hundred percent. I have no problem with hyphenated Canadians as long as the be-all and end-all is that you're loyal to Canada. And you really have to question the loyalties of some of our folks here. Uh, Omar Cotter, ten and a half million dollars for killing and uh, maiming two of our closest allies. In my own neighborhood in Richmond Hill, for some reason, there's someone flying the flag of communist China. You know, I guess that's what freedom brings you. You have the right to do that on your private property. But really, the flag of communist China, a country that down the road, who knows, we might be at war with. I guess the silver lining is this. At least when people do that, we know who's who in the zoo. We know who to trust and who to be suspicious of. Well, folks, that wraps up this edition of The Ezra Levant Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. The big boss man, Ezra, he'll be back here tomorrow. In the meantime, as always, stay safe and 
Stay sane.